Welcome to the CXM Experience. I'm your host, as usual, Grad Khan. I'm the Chief Experience Officer, or CXO, at Sprinkler. And today we're going to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> and um, it'll, it'll relate. If you listen to my Gordian Knot presentation, um, you're going to get a lot of value uh, out of this podcast. If you didn't listen to my Gordian Knot presentation, you're still going to get a lot of value out of this podcast. So either way, you can't lose. Uh, this sort of builds on that. After doing the Gordian Knot podcast uh, the other day, I was like, I got to talk about this other story, which I think is uh, equally appropriate. Let me talk just really quick uh, on Star Trek, and then I'm going to talk about the Gordian Knot, and then I'm going to go into this really interesting scenario, which I think you'll enjoy. I am, as most people know, a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, and before you go there, yes, I've seen The Mandalorian. Like, what is it with everyone asking me if I've seen this crazy new show on Disney Plus? Yes, of course I've seen it. And I have the t-shirt. So I'm good. I'm good. I've seen The Mandalorian. Um, but I've also seen uh, all other Star Wars movies. And unlike many Star Wars fans, I am not a critic of any of them. There's some I'll watch maybe more than others. Some I like more than others. But you're not going to be you know, hearing me going on at length, um, you know, trashing anything about the Star Wars universe except maybe no 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 i'm not going to trash anything about the star wars universe i love everything that george lucas has done it's a piece of brilliant storytelling so uh love it love it love it now what's interesting about me is i'm also a huge star trek fan which is a little bit unusual a lot of there's a lot of sort of star wars versus star trek stuff out there i don't see that um for me you know if you've got star in the title i'm good right so i think probably i just like anything to do with space uh but i've been watching star trek from very young age uh in in the re original reruns uh actually watched the animated series live when it was on tv in the uh, early 70s you know kind of like totally got into that i still have the animated series as a box set which is gorgeous and um Kind of like I've seen every single Star Trek movie, and I'm actually a big fan of all of them, even the much maligned Star Trek V, which I think was directed by William Shatner, uh, which may be why it sort of brought so much ire from people. But Star Trek V is uh, brilliant, in my opinion, in its exploration of the relationship between uh, Spock, uh, Bones, and Kirk. And Scotty, I think that the, that sense, that relationship and friendship is something that was really built out in that movie. And I, I love that about it. So I'll always watch that one as well. So anyway, so I'm a big Star Trek fan, big Star Wars fan. And in the Star Trek universe, um, there is actually a story that's got some kind of similarities to the Gordian Knot story. So quick recap on Gordian Knot. It is a legend associated with Alexander the Great. It's very, very much a sword in the stone type of legend. So um, the town of Gordium had this knot cipher. A knot cipher is a knot that was uh, the instructions to untie it would be passed down from generation to generation amongst the priestesses and priests. And uh, this knot was famously untieable. And the legend was the person who could untie the knot would go on to conquer Asia. Um, as you all know, Alexander the Great did go on to conquer Asia. So you kind of know how the story is going to go. He arrives in the town of Gordium. He's presented with the knot. He looks at it. It's a really tough knot, multiple knots, in fact, and very, very hard to undo. And 
feels that he may have stumbled upon a solution to how to untie the knot. And the solution is he pulls out his sword and chops the knot in half. And when he chops the knot in half, it's no longer tied. Boom, done. Problem solved. And I think the, the Gordian knot story is a wonderful way of talking about how to use orthogonal thinking to solve an intractable problem. And if you think about your own life, there are many times when you have a Gordian knot problem, and maybe the way to solve it is just to go around it. Just try something different. Chop the knot in half with the sword, that kind of idea. So there's another story that's kind of got similarities to it in the Star Trek universe. And if you know anything about Star Trek, and if you're a fan at all, right now I'm sure you're screaming into whatever device you have as you listen to this saying, Kobayashi Maru, Kobayashi Maru, Kobayashi Maru. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today. And if you don't know about Kobayashi Maru, check it out. Um, there's a lot of resources available. But it's an amazing story uh, that's got sort of two really interesting components to it. One, which is, I think, very unique uh, about how do you handle something when you can't win. And one which has got a Gordian knot quality to it, which is how do you solve an intractable problem. And so the I'll talk, just kind of briefly describe um, how it works and then I'll go into a little bit of detail in terms of how they've executed it in the movies and then many of the books as well. So uh, the Kobayashi Maru is a simulation presented to cadets uh, in Starfleet Academy. And it's one of many, many simulations that they go through. And it's a simulation designed for the cadet who's playing the role of captain. And it's essentially um, set up to create a no-win situation and to see how a cadet responds to the pressure of certain death uh, and no win uh, and how do they react to that and so um, the scenario is uh, reasonably simple there's a, a freighter a civilian freighter called the kobayashi maru it has accidentally wandered into the neutral zone uh, which is the barrier between the klingon empire and the federation uh, it has become damaged uh, there are survivors and they've sent out a distress call so the ship, let's say the Enterprise, um, the ship will get the distress, dist distress call and the uh, cadet has to make two choices right away. Uh, one, note that the freighter is in the neutral zone and violations of the neutral zone could spark a war with the Klingon Empire and kill billions of people, and, but you know, condemn the crew and passengers on the Kobayashi Maru to certain death or go and rescue them and violate the neutral zone treaty uh, and potentially put their own ship in danger and potentially you know, create a war. Tough decisions, right? Um, most people choose to go rescue the passengers, partly because there's pressure from the rest of the crew. It's kind of a federation principle, and it just seems like the humane thing to do. And most people assume they'll be able to zip in and zip out before they get caught. Um, uh, there are some examples in some of the books where people choose to not rescue and there's some interesting consequences there. If you choose to rescue, uh, when you get to the Kobayashi Maru, three Klingon war vessels will uncloak and begin mercilessly pounding you with, uh, you know, lasers and missiles and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, your ship will be destroyed and you'll die along with everybody in the Kobayashi Maru. So that's, and there's no way to get out of it. Like there's no, there's no scenario where you can actually win that fight. Uh, and so the idea is this is a no win scenario. And how does the captain deal with the no win scenario? 
So, um, and there's actually, it's uh, the first time it sort of appears uh, is in the um, Star Trek movie where they bring in Khan. So Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, generally viewed as one of the best Star Trek movies. So it's pretty cool. And so, and the, but it's done in a really interesting way. So there's the cadet is uh, named Savak. Uh, and that's played by a very young Kirstie Alley in her first movie role, first big role of, of any kind prior to, prior to Cheers and all that kind of stuff. And the um, way it's played in the movie is it, they don't, you don't know it's a simulation. So you just see Savick, she gets into this battle with the Klingons, and then and you see Spock get killed, and all the crew's all dying, and you're guy dying, and everyone's falling over, and it's like, oh my God, what's happening in the Enterprise? And then lights kind of come on, and Admiral Kirk walks out, and he's like, ah, just a simulation, and everyone stands up and dusts themselves off, and then sort of the movie starts from there. And that that's that definitely, if you haven't seen that movie in a while, it's definitely worth rewatching. It holds up incredibly well. What's really interesting about that scenario, though, is that Kirk famously beat the simulation. So part one is the no win. And that's, I think, if you've ever been in a no win situation in your life, and I have been, I mean, not, fortunately, not thousands of times, but there have definitely been situations where I have tried to make something happen or, you know, tried to create uh, scenario of the fortune. And then it just didn't happen. And there was no way to fix it. And I'm pretty good at pulling things out of the fire. And sometimes you just can't. And how you deal with those types of stresses and those types of scenarios is actually quite interesting. Uh, and you do learn a lot about yourself. So it's not a bad idea to challenge yourself with no-win scenarios. But what Kirk did is he actually took the test three times. And on his third attempt, he actually reprogrammed the simulator so that it was possible to rescue the freighter. And so he essentially cheated by reprogramming the machine, um, but he was actually given a commendation for original thinking. So that this whole fact is revealed in, in The Wrath of Khan. Um, uh, there's a point where Kirk and Savak and many others are marooned, and, and Savak actually accuses Kirk of never having faced a no-win scenario. And Kirk replies very famously that he doesn't believe in no-win scenarios, which is really cool. So there, the uh, 2009 J.J. Uh, Abrams film, where they kind of relaunched the Star Trek film franchise, actually plays the scene of when Kirk is doing it and, uh, and where he reprograms the test. And there's a, it's actually a little bit of a different take because Spock is the... Um, commander in charge of the simulation and he's very upset and uh, feels that you know it was inappropriate and so there's actually a disciplinary hearing and this is where Spock and Kirk meet for the first time and um, use many of the lines from the original series um, the original uh, movie Wrath of Khan uh, and um, then they sort of kind of become Kirk and Spock so it's kind of a really great way to join those two characters together What's kind of funny, and I love this particular sort of factoid, is that in the novelization of the film, so this is not revealed in any of the films, but the novelization of the film, they answer the question of how did Kirk figure out how to reprogram the computer? Because Kirk's like great commander, awesome uh, captain, famous Starfleet Admiral, but I wouldn't sort of look at him and say, you know, code geek right? Uh, he doesn't look like a programmer. I'm not sure he could program anything. So how do you figure this out? How do you know how to do it? And it's always been one of those kind of questions that sort of hangs out there and no one really 
just like it is what it is. And he somehow he figured it out. That's the story. We'll go with it. But what was the actual way he did it? And so if you remember in the movie, um, he was um, betting an Orion female cadet. I don't know if you remember that's a really famous scene in the film. And um, apparently she talked in her sleep. And when she talked in her sleep, uh, she gave away the clues of how to reprogram the Kobayashi Maru scenario. So that's how Kirk did it. That seems totally appropriate that Kirk would figure it out while having a tryst uh, with a fellow cadet. That seems, I totally buy that particular explanation. I thought it's very appropriate. Anyway, so the Kobayashi Maru scenario is a really great way to think about no win. And when have you faced no win scenarios in your life and how have you managed through those? And, and what kind of battle damage did you take when you, when you managed through them? Because they do leave scars and sometimes you don't recognize them. And so it's useful to, to know that because sometimes you will encounter other scenarios where have, they have similar characteristics to the no win that you were in, uh, and your scars may predicate your behavior uh, along the lines of assuming it's no win. It may not be, because uh, there actually aren't that many no win scenarios in your life, but you can create a lot of them if you always assume things are that way, if they present themselves the same way. And I think that Kirk's guidance, which is he doesn't believe in no win scenarios, is a very good mindset because it's he might still run into them. In fact, he does if you're familiar with the series in terms of how his career or his life ends in the Star Trek movie series. It's clearly a no-win scenario. But but the by not ever believing in it, he never approached things as no-win. And so he would always work hard to find the solution to what seemed like intractable problems. So he would always look to find what is my Gordian knot in this situation that I can cut and get through it? How do I reprogram this simulation so that I can win? So I do think there's a lot of really powerful lessons from a mindset standpoint in here. And uh, I do believe that mindset is the most important thing that we carry around with us every day um, because it is our mindset that traps us in old modes of thinking and traps us in accepting things that don't need to be the way they are. I see it almost every single day. I work with some of the world's most interesting companies, and I work with an incredibly smart, incredibly dedicated group of people at Sprinkler. And we are constantly running into these scenarios where something doesn't seem to work, or it's an intractable problem, or you know, no one's commenting on this, or this doesn't work, or this is that. And then it's like, how do you work around it to find the solution. And one thing I love about my job is I'm actually, I get a chance to cut a lot of Gordian knots and, you know, quite enjoy it. So uh, hopefully that was kind of an interesting, that was an interesting uh, session. Uh, we're going to be spending a little bit more time talking about CXM over the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, especially from the standpoint of what does it really mean? And what is an experience flow? And how do you understand what experiences your customers are having? And, and how do you get behind your own firewall and sort of kind of get in front of the, get, put yourself in the customer's shoes and sort of think through uh, what they're experiencing and what they're going through? So a lot more on that over the next couple of weeks. I'm kind of quite looking forward to it. Should be really interesting and super fun. And uh, for now, um, if you find yourself in a no-win situation, try to reprogram the computer. If you find yourself faced with an intractable problem, try to cut the knot. All right. For the CXM experience, I'm Grad Khan, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.